so excited about the message that I feel like the Lord has put on my, on my heart tonight. Um, and you heard, we're going to be in Isaiah 61, if you have your Bibles. It's kind of dim in here, but we do have, um, we will have it up on the screen for you. But I just want to start right here with the first couple of verses in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. So in thinking about this idea that Jesus comes for the brokenhearted, I was thinking a lot this week about what brokenhearted means, and um, the word crying came to me a lot. And I, you, a lot of you might already know this, because I, I, as much as I can say it, I say it. Um, I was labeled the sensitive kid in my family. Any, any, anyone else out there? You probably heard me talk about this. Okay, sensitive. Okay, and what happens when they call you sensitive? You cry. It's just completely horrible as you, like, defend that you're not sensitive at all. And they're like, okay. So I, I was dub sensitive. Um, and I want to give you a few crying facts, okay? Because I've been doing some Internet research, and, you know, these are factual things, okay? I did my best. I have, I have um, two kids that are in college right now, and they're like, you know, those articles aren't reliable. You have to have a, a journal, you know, they, yeah, Ella knows. Um, but in my research, this is what I found about crying. Um, on average, women cry about four to six times a month. I think, I think that's very low. <laughs> is it, are y'all with me? I mean, like half of you are with me, and the other half is like, no, that's a lot. Okay, so four to, and sometimes I think that can take place all in one week, right? It's like that one week. Um, I love it. My mom always says about that one week, you guys know what I'm talking about. There's men in the room, so we won't go too far into this. But my mom would always say, and she's here, where are you, mom? She's like, the truth is revealed during that week. <laughs> that is how I feel all the time. I'm just living with you the rest of the time and putting up with you. Um, yeah. So men, a little bit different, men cry 0.5 to, to one time per month. Per a month. And I, I know, that's a lot. And I, I was like, how do we get the 0.5? Like, I think there's like a bunch of women going, yeah, he's not crying. That, that doesn't count. Crying is shedding tears. It's not eyes welling up. Um, we tend to have six-minute cry sessions, women. Seems about right. And then 65% of the time, that turns into sobbing. So, and I, and I was trying to, I was like envisioning all this. I'm like, okay, there's crying. And then when you start, you know, it's almost like a dance move. It's like, okay, that's when the sobbing begins. So it's a lot of crying. But guess what? New evidence is coming out that emotional tears are really, really good for you. So there's three different kinds of tears. I, I've been in a tears vortex, I'm, t I'm telling you. I won't go into it, but there are three different, there's the onion tears, and okay. Um, but the emotional tears might have protein and hormones that, that like are released, I guess, into your face. Maybe it's, maybe it's good for wrinkles, I don't know. I'm gonna start bawling all the time. Um, 
but but they're they're starting to have you know to find that there could be a uh, related like a health related thing with crying. Um, there's definitely benefits of crying that are well documented. Um, I was watching as I was in the the, the uh, crying vortex. I was like, I wonder how America's doing with this. You know, like, are we are we good? Are we? I feel like we're so emotional. Like, I think we're crying a lot. Um, and I kind of found some things like we, we tend, our funerals tend to be a lot shorter than other countries. Other countries might mourn and have an actual funeral for like a week. And I think ours is like a couple of hours. And then we're like, okay, it's time to go home. Um, and so I, I was reading, I, I watched this little uh, mini documentary about this man in Japan. I have to tell you about this. We'll get back to this. There's a connection. This man in Japan who, so basically he said, in Japan, they don't cry. I mean, people just don't cry. It's just so taboo. Like, you'd never cry in public. And so as he's learning that, wow, there's all these health benefits to crying, he wants to give people permission to cry. And so he's a tear teacher. And so I was watching this. It was so fascinating. Like, people were coming in to his little shop, and then he was like, we're going to talk about some things. And I thought they were going to, like, go into their story and stuff. And he's like, we're going to talk about puppies and, like, watch some videos. And so they did this, and, and the people would start crying. And he even asked them, he said, you know, when's the last time you cried? cried if you, I mean, raise your hand if you cried, last, you know, in the last couple nights. Nobody. Last week. Nobody. The last month. Nobody. I'm like, who are these people? The last six months. Nobody. And so he's, he's just on this path of, like, I, he, he opened up a shop for crying. I don't know how the shop is going. I'm, I'm very concerned, and I am getting back to that documentary as soon as I get home. Um, and I'll let you know. But I feel like this is something we're beginning to accept, like, the, the, the mourning your, and, and grief over your story, over what's happened, over the things that you've done and the things that have been done against you, like, it's important for us. I, th I feel like we're in this time where, I don't know, I, I was kind of saying, like, a lot of my millennial friends, I'm like Gen, Gen X, um, a lot of my millennial friends that have been saying, everybody needs to be in therapy, every single person. And, you know, it took me a little longer to get, I'm like, I don't know if I need therapy. And now I'm like, I need therapy. Um, between that and, and a global pandemic, and then also Ted Lasso season two, <laughs> I mean, we're all like, okay, we believe it. We need, we need some counseling. We need to do something with the pain that we have inside. According to Psychology Today, it says, unless you process grief, when the loss occurs, your emotions will become stuck in your system, both your mind and body. Grief will stay with you as energy in your unconscious, affecting your life until discovering it and processing it out. We really can't ignore it anymore. And this is what the Bible says. Listen to this. Jeremiah, he was also known as the weeping prophet. Um, he was a prophet in the Old Testament, and it was at a time when Israel was being destroyed, taken into captivity by the Babylonian army. And, and Jeremiah was basically weeping and saying, we've run away from God. We've ignored him and, and preaching to, to his people. And there's this um, verse, it's Jeremiah 6, 14, where he says, 
They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. How many of us have wounds from our childhood? And we say, it's okay, I'm fine. Like, even, I find myself doing it all the time. Like, I'll tell a story, and as soon as you see your, your friend kind of going, you're like, but it's okay. But it's okay, I'm fine, right? Peace, peace, when there really is no peace. So as we're recognizing that we're not okay, and that's kind of the theme of Oasis. We say, um, life is hard, but God is good. And we always want to be real about that. We're not people that come in here and say, I don't know about you, but like every day of my life is a triumph. And I don't know why you haven't figured that out. No, we're, we want to be people who are real and honest and say, this is hard and what I'm walking through is hard. So, okay. Now here we are, we're sad, we struggle, but what do we do about that? Where do we turn? I mean, is it, is it therapy? Is that what we're doing now? I mean, when you think about it, can everyone go to therapy? Or is that something that's, that's only a few people are able to do? Is that the answer? And I'm not saying it's not because I'm in therapy. <laughs> and it's wonderful. Um, I want to say this before we, we go a little bit further. This is like a little disclaimer if you're in here and you're just not tracking with me at all and you're like, wow, this is a little heavier than I was anticipating for a, a women's gathering. We're talking about grief and admitting that we're not okay. I just, I, I thought about you. I know you're, you're in here and you're just like, yeah, I'm not feeling this. And I just want to challenge you in this way. I was thinking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. There were a couple of times in scripture where she didn't understand what was going on. One was when it was something wonderful was happening, almost too good to be true, and another was very confusing and hard. And both times it says the same thing about Mary, and I love Mary. She's just so humble and so the opposite of me. But she, Mary, it says she took these things and she pondered them in her heart. So she took these things that she did not understand, and she said, I'm going to I'm going to let it ruminate in here. And, and that word ponder means to almost like you're thinking it through out loud in your head. And so Mary's like, I'm going to think about it. I'm not just going to say, you know what, that wasn't for me and I don't relate at all. I'm going to put it somewhere. I'm going to tuck it away and think maybe if, I, if you sense God in this place tonight, maybe this is for you. Maybe it's not for tonight. But tuck it away. Don't, don't get rid of it just yet. I just wanted to say that. I love this quote. It's by a 13th century poet, and it says, The wailing of broken hearts is the doorway to God. So Isaiah 61 is a pretty amazing passage, and one of the reasons why it's really amazing is because it's the, when, when Jesus, um, so he, he was living his life, he was 30 years old, that's when his like ministry really started on earth. When he was 30 years old, he went into the wilderness and for 40 days he was fasting and talking to his father and preparing for ministry. And Satan, it says he, Satan tempted him when he was in the wilderness and said, you know, this whole bind up the brokenhearted thing, like, do you know what, do you know what that's going to cost you? Do you know what you're going to have to do? Like, just don't go that way. You, you could skip over that forget those people, and you could just be a king. And Satan tempted him in different ways, and, it, and Jesus came out of that wilderness victorious, and he went to his hometown in Jerusalem, 
And he went to the synagogue there where there were religious leaders. And they would open up the scrolls, the Old Testament, and they would read them. And he, he stood up and he read. And this is what he chose to read. His first thing that he's going to, the way he's going to proclaim why he's here, what his mission is. And, and this is what he read. Isaiah 61, 1, again. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sat down and he said, today this scripture is fulfilled. And it said every eye in the room was just fastened on him. This is Jesus proclaiming why he came. And, and, and one of the first things out of his mouth is, I came to bind up broken hearts. And he would do it. How would he do it? How would he bind up our wounds? His wounds. He would, he would pay the ultimate price for all the pain you have suffered and all the pain that you have caused. He took it on himself. I want to give you tonight just four, I wish I worded this a little different, but it's four truths to keep you in healing. And the reason why, I, at first I had four truths to lead us into healing, but I just thought healing is a circle that you don't, you don't, I don't, I don't see anywhere in scripture where Jesus says, I'm going to heal you and now get on your way and you're never going to have another problem here on earth. No, on, on this bro in this broken world, we are going to have difficulties and strife and trials. So healing, he's going to keep us in his healing, not lead us and say, get out there and go now. You're all done. It's not a one-time thing. So anyway, four truths to keep you in healing. The first one is bring your grief to Jesus, first and foremost. It's not what I always do, right? I mean, I feel that wave of, and, and sometimes I don't even know it's grief I'm feeling, you know? Mine usually comes out as anger. But underneath my anger is I'm sad about something. I'm really sad about something. But, but the first thing I want to do is get on the phone or talk to my husband or, you know, and work out that anger, and Jesus wants us to bring it to him. And I love this. Um, I felt like he said, he, he kind of spoke this over my heart when I was praying about this message. I was like, God, I want you to use me. I want you to use me. I say it a lot to God. I want you to use me, God. And you know what I felt like he said? I'm not a user, Beth. Not a user. I'm a healer. And I want to heal you, Beth. And you need a lot of healing. And, and when he starts to heal you, there's not, there, the, the, the quest for purpose, it starts to fall away. How are you going to use me? What's my purpose? What's my role today? If we become people who go, man, I'm, I'm sad today. And it doesn't have to be a huge tragedy. You can miss your kid when they go off to college and it make you feel so empty so empty, and you can bring that to him. That's what Jesus wants from us. That's what he wants. More than me waking up and going, I'm your soldier, put me to work. I feel so much better doing that, you know? I'm like, what do you want me to do? I'm your girl. And he's like, I want to heal your heart. 
I want to heal you of your sin and your pride and the things that people have said that have hurt you and made you sad. I want to heal you and love you. We got to know this about our Jesus. Um, I love that this word lament. I've been really into crying for my poor husband. I'm like, let's talk about crying. And lament, which the definition of lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And the Psalms are a beautiful display of how to worship God. How, what does worshiping God look like? They're prayers and th- prayers of thanksgiving and praise and wisdom and you know what, you know what uh, is the biggest part of Psalms? What the biggest category in Psalms? Do you know what it is? Lamenting. A passionate expression of grief or sorrow takes up 50 chapters in Psalms. There's a whole book called Lamentations, written by the, the weeping prophet Jeremiah. A whole book where it's an expression to God of, I'm hurting and I need you. This is what God wants us to understand. The second thing to keep you in healing, so you bring your grief to Jesus first and foremost, before you do anything else, I'm coming to you, Jesus, my heart hurts. It can be that simple too, y'all. I'm not talking about, okay, light the candles and then get in your closet and, you know, It needs to be about an hour of lamenting. I mean, my laments come at red lights. I'm like, I am lamenting right now. But it's it's a dialogue with him. And the second one is accept the exchange. Okay, there's this exchange I want you to see. In Isaiah 61.3, it says, And provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. We, we often say, you know, you don't bring anything. You come to Jesus as you are. You know, you come empty-handed. You, know, you don't come with, here's my resume. I hope, I, hope I hope this works out and you'll forgive me for whatever bad stuff I did. And we, don't, we, we always say you kind of come empty-handed. But I was thinking about it this week, and it's not completely true. You come with something. You don't come saying, I'm okay, and I'm just empty, and I'll have my hands out. No, you come with pain. You come with grief. You come with mourning. And there's an exchange. I was thinking about the, the Good Samaritan. Um, I love this story, and I always thought, you know, I want to be the Good Samaritan. Because, you know, here's how the story goes. There's a man, and he's in the road, and he's, got, he's bleeding, and he's been beat up, and people took his money and just left him in the road. And then there's three people that come by one by one. Kind of reminds me of the Billy, Billy Goat Scruff. I'm sorry. Um, so, there's, um, so there's three people that come by, and they're the religious people too, right? And they come by, and they walk on the other side of the street. And you know we've all done it, right? You roll up your window, and you're just like, and so this story is to show you that you shouldn't do that, and you should be a good Samaritan, and the good Samaritan came, and he helped him, and he put him on his donkey, and he took him to a hotel, and, and got him taken care of, and he anointed him with oil, and helped him with all his boo-boos, and, and you should do that too, right? Except you miss something. You're not the good Samaritan. You're the guy in the road. 
You're the guy in the road. And if you can't come to that place in your life where you accept, oh my goodness, I have wounds that nothing can heal. No marriage, no baby, no people in my life, no friendship, no relationship, no job, no achievement, nothing but the love of Jesus. And if you, if you can't see yourself as the man in the road, then you're going to miss the exchange, right? You're going to miss the exchange. I love this. There is a beautiful, beautiful display of the Good Samaritan all the way back in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 16. I don't think I gave this to them, so just listen. This is Ezekiel 16, and it's talking about God towards Israel, which when we read those passages, we see ourselves as Israel in the Old Testament. So here's, here's what it says. And just tell me if this sounds like the Good Samaritan. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to be made clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one would look on you with pity, and no one had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for on the day you were born, you were despised. Until Jesus until Jesus. And your story might not feel like that. You're like, I don't feel like I was laying out in the field and I had a pretty good family. You got to see yourself. You got to start being honest with yourself about the wounds that you have that only Jesus, only Jesus can fill. So we're going to bring our grief to Jesus. We're going to accept this exchange. And then we're going to let him into our past. He never whacks you on the head and says, it doesn't matter, it's in the past. <laughs> Anyone? I love that. I love when Rafiki says that. Like, I rewound that for my kids over and over and over. Like, isn't that funny? I think I need to be hit on the head and reminded that my past doesn't matter. That's not Jesus, though. Because listen to what he says. Isaiah 61.4, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Why even go there? I don't really even think I need to. Like, why do I need to go there? Why do I need to go to those little particular stories in my life where that really hurt? That really hurt. Why do I need to go there? I can just move on, right? Listen to this. This is a, it's from an article called The Pilgrimage of Grief. The problem then lies, if you don't go there and you just shove it down, the problem then lies in the unconscious vow we make in the light of the pain. We vow to play safe, to remain isolated, to love half-heartedly, never going all in again. The drawback with this vow is that joy and grief are on a continuum. If you never allow yourself to feel the pain of loss, the betrayal of hope, you will certainly not feel the depth of true joy. Grief serves as a shovel for the soul. It digs, it mines, and excavates painfully at times, violently. Grief digs to make space for deep delight. To enter those vacant spaces. This is the posture of vulnerability. It is both terrifying and stirring and a prerequisite 
for a broken heart and full life. He's so into the re-words. Rebuild, restore, renew. God loves those words. And you know what re means? Back again. I feel like God does this with me all the time. I'm like, I'm over that. I, I made those terrible mistakes. And he's like, back, back again. And, and not for condemnation. For more healing. He has more healing that we can invite him into. How can you do this? Are y'all thinking, okay, this sounds kind of like, okay, how are we going to do this practically? I just want to tell you a couple of thoughts I had about this. One, we do this thing here we call fight clubs. It's not something that um, we, I mean, I think we have some information about it online, um, but it's not something we put people, we don't put people in groups. We put people in city groups here, but we don't put people in fight clubs. It's something you do on your own, so I just want to say that first. But what, a, what is a fight club? It's basically a person that you, one or two people that you pray with regularly, and we call them fight clubs because you duke it out. No, because um, we're, you're contending for your faith together. You're wrestling through things with God sometimes. I mean, can we be honest? Do you wrestle with God and say, why are you doing this? I mean, I say that after a bad trip to the groceries. I'm like, you don't like me. You don't. You just showed me. But, but, but fighting through things in life together on our knees in prayer. So that's what a fight club is. And I feel like it's such a great place to work some of this out and to welcome some of this. Like, what is God going to do? I'm going to share this story with you, and, and maybe the person will speak into your life. You start telling each other stories, real stories about what you're going through. Um, so recently, my fight club person and I, we, did, we were, were into this thing called stories, um, and we did a story workshop, and basically, we were just learning about what's the point, you know, because we kind of feel like that, probably like you, like, what's the point, and going back and trying to remember everything about childhood, and trying to think about what hurt, and trying to think about what, where I went wrong, and, um, but, so we, we went to this workshop to learn about it, and it was, it was pretty amazing, um, some of the things we learned, but I want to share this story with you, because I feel like it just reflects a reason why you would let him into your past. Um, okay, so the girl that told the story was, her name was Kathy, and she's a psychologist. And she told this story about going away for the weekend with her girlfriends, and they were doing some story work. They were going to, you know, just share stories about their past and speak into each other's life and pray, and it was going to be amazing. And they were like, the first night, let's don't do anything. Let's just have fun. And so there was a pool where they were, um, and they were in the pool that night, and they were playing music, and the song came on, Hold On For One More Day. Y'all know that song. I mean, it does something to certain people. They're just like, oh, it's like, i got to sing this. Stop, everybody. And she, she said, um, oh, my goodness, y'all. And she starts to tell this story, and she goes, this song, it just brings back all the memories of junior high. And basically, I was, she was bullied in, in junior high by some girls, just teased at lunchtime. And she hated going to lunch. And so every, every time it was time to go to lunch, she would go into another building to go to the bathroom and get herself ready. 
and she would sing, hold on for one more day. Hold on for one more. Somebody sing it. No. Can you play it? No, I'm kidding. Um, so she would just sing it to herself and just picture, picture this 13-year-old girl who's just like, oh, they're going to be mean again. And she's singing. And she's telling them as the song came on. And she goes, and all of a sudden, my dear friends, these five women, start moving towards me. And she's like, oh, no. <laughs> What's going on? And they have like these, these looks of care and love in their eyes. And they're moving towards her. And she's just like, oh, she said, everything in me was just like, this is the fun night. Everybody stop. It was just a little story. I thought it was cute. And she said, they proceeded to start speaking things over her. And I'm going to tell you, they actually picked her up in the water. I know, I know. I cringed, y'all. I was like, I don't want to hear this story anymore. But you have to hear this story. And you have to picture this. And of course, none of us want to be cradled in the water ever by five of our close friends. Ever. But she was. And they were holding her. And they, and they start speaking over her. They start saying, do you know what a precious 13-year-old girl, she said one of, one of them was like, that, that would go in there and do that. And they start speaking over her and saying how wonderful she is and how much they love her and just so much encouragement, very specific things. And she said she just, just fell into it and started bawling. And she said, I experienced a level of healing, like it's a marker in her life where something kind of came undone, where something, all of a sudden, she's like, the, the mean 13-year-old girls that, you know, I had that memory for so long, and now I'm looking at these women who love me and are speaking such kind and loving things over me, and it's almost like it's all gone. That wound was healed. That's just a small story. But, but God wants to heal us. He loves us that much that he cares about those tiny little things that aren't so tiny. So the last thing I want to say is the last point to keep us in our healing would be keep coming back for more. It's just, it's basically a loop. These points don't go like this. It, it just keeps going like this. It's a circle. You're kept. You're held. You're healed and you're held. 1 Corinthians 1.4 says, He who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. So this is where you go, okay, I'm coming back for more. God, I need more. I need more healing. I need more of your love. I need you to remind me that I'm your girl and I'm beloved. And no matter what I say and no matter what I do, you, you love me and you have nothing but mercy and kindness towards me. And we want to bring people with us, right? So we're not just getting healed, but we're going, let's go together. Let's go again. I love these two passages in Luke. This is where Jesus is telling his disciples how to pray, which means how do you talk to God? And these are the passages he chooses. After he does the Lord's Prayer, and they, they go, okay, now I know how it goes. And then he goes, now let me tell you what I mean. And there's a passage in Luke 11 where there's a neighbor who he says, I want to tell you a story about this guy. He comes to the door, 
He's a neighbor. Um, and he comes to his neighbor's door at 12 midnight. And he knocks on the door. And he's like, I need some bread. And the guy is like, I'm in my bed. All the kids are asleep. Like, don't, don't wake the baby. Please stop knocking. And he keeps knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. Until finally, it's so troublesome to the guy, he gets up and he opens the door and he gives him the bread. And that's the story that Jesus has for us about how to talk to him. And then he goes, oh, I have another one. This is later on in Luke. And he says, it's a, it's a story of a widow and she, she needs mercy from a judge. She needs mercy for a payment. And she keeps bothering this judge Please have mercy on me. Please have mercy. And he, he gets so annoyed with her, so annoyed that he forgives the debt. He forgives the debt. So um, I just want to ask you, I just want to ask you, do you think that Jesus told that story because he gets bothered and he wants us to know that he, God gets really bothered with us? Of course not, right? Why did, why did he tell that story? What you think is bothering God is beautiful to him. It's beautiful. Why? I'm like, why? You want me to beg? I don't get it. Why do you think begging is beautiful? I think it's terrible. You want me to beg? You want me to bother you? I don't understand the waiting part, but God has a value with waiting that we're, that we're going to understand one day when we're with him, and it's going to blow our mind. We're going to go... You mean waiting? Waiting did that? We're not going to believe it. There, he has a value of waiting. So he says, while you're waiting, come to me. Come to me. Bother me. You think it's bothering. It's beautiful. There's a story about a woman in the Bible named Hannah. I love this story. It's so hard. She was married and her husband had another wife. And, the, and she, Hannah could not have a baby. She was barren. And the other wife had babies and would taunt her. I just want you to imagine. We can't even imagine that. Taunt her. And Hannah wanted a baby so bad. And she went to the temple one day and she, she prayed. And she prayed so hard that the priest thought she was drunk. He was like, somebody been drinking over there. Because you know why? They, he wasn't used to seeing somebody pray like that with such shameless audacity and bother God like that. But he saw Hannah and he said, what's going on? She said, no, I'm not. I, I'm just, I'm praying for a baby. And he, he blessed her and sent her on her way. She ended up with a baby and she brought that baby to, back to the temple. She said, God, if you give me a baby, I'm going to bring him back to you. How many people have told you, don't, don't make vows with God now? She said, if you give me a baby, he is yours. And when, when that baby was weaned, probably around three years old, she brought him back to the temple. And she said, hey, Eli, remember when you blessed me that day? Look what happened. You know, I, I had a miscarriage between Jack and Ella. And I remember being so, so sad and being like, I didn't even know. I didn't even know this child. I mean, it happened so early on. And I was kind of confused by my... In, intense grief over this. And I have this, I have this thought that there's going to be a glorious undoing someday 
of everything. That dad who didn't tell you he loved you, there's going to be some kind of glorious undoing when we're in heaven with Jesus. And maybe I'm going to see that baby. I think I am. And what, what is that baby going to be like? Listen to this in Psalm 56, 8 through 11. I love this. You have seen me tossing and turning through the night. You have collected all my tears and preserved them in your bottle. You have recorded every one in your book. The very day I call for help, the tide of battle turns. My enemies flee. This one thing I know, God is for me. I am trusting God. Oh, praise his promises. I am not afraid of anything mere man can do to me. Yes, praise his promises. Every tear. Why is God collecting our tears? I had this thought. I love to dream about heaven, y'all. I do. And I, and I, I don't know what's happened, but I, I, I really think it's going to be better than anything that we can possibly fathom. And I had this thought today. I was like, God, why are you collecting my tears? You know that's a lot of tears. A sensitive one. You know what I heard him say? going to be an oceanfront view for you someday. Your tears and your grief are brave and courageous. Bring them to God. Watch what he's going to do. It's going to blow your mind. Don't be afraid to say, this hurt. Don't be afraid to start talking to people. Talk to your children. Open up doors. Say, hey, how have I wounded you, child? Let's not be defensive. I am, I am, I'm at this, my kids are at this age where they're starting to tell me little things that hurt. They're being more honest with me. And I'm trying, y'all, not to get defensive and say, tell me more. I want to know. Because I want to get into it with God. I want to get into this healing. I want to be kept and held in healing. And I want to invite people into that. Let's stand together and sing. We're going to have a moment in a little bit to just go into, sing a song, and then have some time for ministry. You're going to hear a little bit more about that, where you can come forward. This is time, guys, where you can be brave, you can be courageous, and we're all in the same boat in this room. I think we know that now. We're all in the same boat. God, we just thank you so much for what you're doing, and we just invite you to be that good dad, that good father that you are who loves us and longs to make us whole. Make us whole, God. We invite you in.